Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House. Episode 97 features Al Robinson, who played for Coach Rupp and the Wildcats from 1950 to 1960. However, he spent his first two years prior as a member of the Wildcats cage team. With the recent reunion of the 1958 national champion Kentucky Wildcats, Al spent his collegiate years practicing against the Fiddle and Five and will give us a great look at Kentucky basketball from over 60 years ago. But first, Al has some thoughts and observations about the current crop of Wildcats as Oscar caught up with Al fresh from one of John Calipari's practices. We'll learn about the differences in a Coach Cal practice and a Coach Rupp practice, and we'll also learn about the similarities. Al Robinson's journey to Kentucky was not typical, and he will retrace his steps and how one Wildcat great helped him in getting to play for Coach Rupp. We'll travel with Al and the Cats, and Al will take us inside the locker room and on the road with Coach Rupp, including a night on Bourbon Street. And finally, Al will share his memories about his former teammates, including Johnny Cox, John Krigler, Adrian Smith, Ed Beck, and Billy Ray Licker. And of course, his heartfelt comments on Coach Adolph Rupp. It's a great look at Coach Rupp's final NCAA championship team and even a meaningful look at what Coach Rupp meant to Al Robinson. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House. Unbelievable weekend this past weekend for Kentucky basketball. They beat a good Auburn team. In fact, they don't beat them. They, they just flat out crush them. And you've just come from practice today. Monday afternoon, what was the mood like over there? Good mood, working hard. Everybody's got their mind on their business. It's changed completely from the beginning of the year. They, uh, they're paying attention. They're doing what the coaches ask them to do. And really good. You know, this is the first year in, I think, quite a while where there's four or five teams in this league that can beat you on a given night at home. And Kentucky sort of got behind the eight ball a little bit with that Lost to LSU, which is a good team, but still in all, uh, they're in a dogfight, three-way tie for first place, and I don't think they want to take second place. No, they don't, I'm sure. They, uh, I think after the big win at Tennessee, they kind of let down just a little bit on their defense, which is natural. They think they're world beaters. They're back on the ground again. Uh, you played under – the great Adolph Rupp, uh, 58, 59, 60, 58, you were freshman. Uh, how would you describe Coach Rupp's practice in the 50s compared to 
a Coach Cal practice right now? Well, uh, in Coach Rupp's practices, there was no talking, none. Uh, you could holler switch or something like that, but when the when we were practicing, other than saying switch or get him, there was no practicing. No, I mean no talking at all. And uh, there's a lot of talking. Of course, uh, I think Coach Cal has them to talk. He wants them to talk, and it really helps them in defense talking to each other. But their practices, the whole game has changed from when I played and the way they're playing now. They uh, they play a lot of – after they run their plays, they play just basketball one-on-one. And back in our day, you played the plays to get your, get your shots – and very little, really, one-on-one. That's probably the biggest change that I can see. Did Coach Rupp run stations like Cal does? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The coaching's not much different. Coach Cal's an excellent coach. He could have coached back in our day. And it, and it really did good Really did good also. But I think Coach Rupp was way ahead of his time, really, when he was coaching all the way up to the end. What would you say is the difference between Coach Rupp's defensive philosophies versus Coach Cal? Well, there's a whole lot difference. Although Coach Rupp wanted nothing but man-to-man, uh, there was no switching. You that had sort to, of sounds like Cal a little bit. That's Well, it was, exactly. <laughs> uh, the only really big difference is they do a lot of uh, pick and rolls, and their pick and rolls and our pick and rolls were absolutely different. When Harley's physical, were they? They're not as physical on their pick and rolls as we were, because when you did a pick and roll with us, your hip was supposed to hit the other picker's hip, and at the end of practice, both of you got sore hips, so the guy couldn't come through. But they run it a little bit different than than we do, than we did, and coached. Uh, I can see why because a lot of times the second man gets the ball other than the the first man for a wide for a wide open shot, which is really good. Your freshman year at Kentucky for uh, fifty seven fifty eight, you were playing against a team, practice against a team that ultimately won the national championship. They call them the Fiddling Five. Um, you're now watching practice at a team that hopes to win a Final Four, a national championship. Uh, can you see any uh, any uh, likenesses in how the players are approaching the game between those two teams? Well, I think probably near the end of the season – in the 58 team, they were concentrating more and helping each other a lot more. And this team that we've got out here now is doing the same thing. If if one man gets beat, let him beat you. Somebody's got to take you, got to back you up. 
and then you've got to go get his man. And that's happening now. And defense, like you said at the beginning, defense wins the games. Of course, you have to score the basket, but but the defense will help you score the basket. Almost every year since Cal's been here, now in his 10th season, he always talks about the players talking to each other on the floor. Has this team grasped this Finally. as well as he'd like to? Finally, they have. And Washington has become a coach on the floor. He's helping them when one of them does the wrong thing, goes the wrong way, he'll tell them, which helps. Because that way, Coach Cal doesn't have to yell all the way down there. and they're, they're, they're not listening. They're trying to watch what's going on. And if you got a coach out on the floor, it really helps. This Kentucky team is now, and I don't know that it really means anything, Joe Lenardi's bracketology and CBS's bracketology, they both moved up to the one line this week. Uh, is it important to be uh, the top seed in your bracket in March, or does it really matter? Ask Duke. You remember that? Duke got beat by 16 team first round. So it's, it'd be a lot better playing a 16 seed than it would a 15 seed. But sometimes that doesn't make much difference. If we're a two seed, we may get to play in Louisville, which would make a whole lot of difference. If we go out west, there'd be a lot of Kentucky people out there, but there'd sure be a lot more people in Louisville if we get to play there. Speaking of that, obviously the, the number one obstacle to be in uh, playing at Louisville is what happens Saturday night against Tennessee. Exactly. Of course, I want to beat Tennessee. That See, that was when we played, Tennessee was the team to beat. And when you say when we played, you're talking about back in the 50s. Yes, because they had Mousie and they had their coach and what was wild as it could be. You played in some unique places in the 50s, but Stokely Athletic Center sort of was – I mean, it wasn't the worst gym in the league, but, boy, that balcony, they could spit on you. Exactly. Well, old Miss's gym and Mississippi State's gym was something else also. Back to this Kentucky team. How, how good you, do you think they are? Are they capable – of winning it all against, a, a, say, a team like Duke or Gonzaga or Virginia with a slowdown game? I, I want to play Duke again, and I'm sure they do. I think that we – I think if we play the way they have played in two games, if they'll play like that after the Florida – after we won the SEC tournament, if we do, which I think we will, I think that they have a good chance of going all the way. You wouldn't believe, you could not believe how much they have changed. Their names are the same, but their attitude, their basketball skills, their defensive skills, it's amazing what these coaches have done with these boys. More uh, so this year than any year that I've been over there watching them. You, you, you see a lot of practices I as, do. An, as an ex-player. Uh, Cal welcomes ex-players and ex-coaches in. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you read tea leaves when pro scouts are in, just their body language. Like, you know, they'll turn that head like, boy, I didn't see that or whatever. Uh, what do you take from these 
tea leaves you read watching Pro Scouts? Uh, I haven't really talked with, last year I talked with quite a few. They would sit over there beside me. Uh, this year I really haven't talked to hardly any. And uh, they're just writing down what they, what they do in practice. And, of course, like you said, the boys glance over there. Of course, why not? I mean, you're going to make, make the grade or you're going to not make the grade. Back to the 57-58 year, uh, you come in as a freshman. Uh, you grew up in Lexington, went to Lafayette High School. Tell me a little bit of your background. First of all, is uh, what really happened at Lafayette High School? And how did you get to University of Kentucky? Well, I played basketball at Bryan Station Junior High School. Hatton played there, was two years in front of me, three years in front of me. He and I were close friends. He was my hero. And when I became in the ninth grade, getting ready to go to 10th grade, uh, Clark County's coach came over and talked to my dad and tried to get us to move to Clark County. Letcher Norton, I think yes, was his name. To play for Clark County. They and, didn't recruit back then, did they? Well... And then uh, Lafayette's coach came over, did the same, asked the same thing. And, of course, I'm tickled to death. I'm going to go to Lafayette and play basketball. And I was tickled to death. Because we had played Lafayette Junior three or four times. And Coach Carlisle had seen me play. And he was, he was excited that I was going to come. And I was really excited. And I, so I went over and... <clears throat> Played, start practicing, got my uniform, and I discovered girls. And uh, that kind of ended it. And from that day on, I played in the industrial league with... Didn't anyone tell you you could play basketball and still have a girl? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, <clears throat> I was from the country, and uh, I really hadn't had a lot of girlfriends back then and I made a stupid stupid mistake it was my it was really a stupid mistake and I regret that today still but uh, I played uh, industrial league basketball with guys older uh, graduated from high school uh, coach Carlisle taught us P.E., and we had to have P.E. to graduate from high school. And every year he would come over and ask me and my dad if I was going to play next year, and I'd tell him yes and wouldn't do it. And he failed me in P.E., and I had to take it. How do you fail in P.E.? That's right. How do you? (laughs) And I uh, had to take P.E. in the summer to graduate. And then I went into the Army, and I was at Fort Knox, and what year was this now? This was 56. And I uh, was in on the six-month plan. You're six months and eight years is what you've got to do. And while I was at Fort Knox, uh, the first Saturday we got to leave where we could go wherever we wanted to on the post, went up to, to the gym and started playing and was playing against Frank Ramsey. And... Frank asked me, he says... Now, we're talking about the Frank Ramsey. The Frank Ramsey. 
University of Kentucky, exactly. All-American. All-American. Had he gone to Boston yet, or was no, this in the uh, middle of it? I don't know if he'd gone to – I don't think he had, because he had to – I think he was in the ROTC program and had to go on active duty for six months like I did. Now, I'm not sure about that. I know he's. I know he, he – but he was – One of them went in the meeting, the other one waited a little while. Anyway, he was a lieutenant. Okay. So he uh, – Asked me, he said, do you want to play with, with us up here? I said, yes. I said, will it get me out of all this stuff? He said, oh, yes. So he came down and talked to my company commander. So all I did was play basketball. And when I, my, I was getting ready to get out, and he asked me where I was going to go to school, where I'd been recruited. And I said, no, I hadn't been recruited. I said, I probably wouldn't go to school because – my family was not real poor, but they weren't didn't have enough for me to go to college. And he said, well, I've got you a scholarship. When you get out, you get your dad, and you and your dad go over and see Coach Rupp, and you'll have a scholarship waiting for you. So I was lucky, lucky, lucky that I had met him. Great, great person. So you enrolled at Kentucky. I enrolled at Kentucky. Hatton and I, I'm a freshman. Hatton and I would break in the gym. He knew how to break in. And we would play. Now explain what you mean by breaking in. Well, he knew how to get in without, in the gym when it was locked up. The Coliseum would be locked up. And he knew how to get in. So y'all didn't go crack a window oh, or no, climb no, no. through it? Or... No, he knew, he knew how to get in. He just knew who yeah. knew it was to turn yeah. the key. He knew how to turn the lights on in there also. And we'd go over there and play one-on-one and sometimes have two or three guys play. But uh, And all these fellows that you were talking about uh, are, are that were at the last basketball game, the championship team. They were all great guys. Uh, wasn't it neat to see them in this past week? Uh, yeah, it was, and I didn't get to didn't get to talk to them. I was I had to go to the lake for some business. But they, uh, when we were freshmen, they would pick out a person to help because we were freshmen. I was fresh so out the of the upper army. Classmen picked out a, a freshman. Yes, to give give you some good pointers. pointers what to do, when to do it, what not to do. And uh, Brother Atkins was my man, and he helped me like I wouldn't have got through if I hadn't had him. He showed me all the ropes and was a great, great player and, and really did get to play much. There's a lot of great players on, those, on that team there that never got to play. Before the season started, what was, what was the mood of – the team, the coaches, were they expecting a great year? I don't think I don't think not a championship year. No, I don't think so. Because they lost I don't know how many games did they lose? Uh that year they they were twenty three and six overall. Yeah. And they did lose three of the first seven games. They it started out by beating good old team we all love, Duke, in your home opener. Then they went to Ohio State and won. And then, of course, the triple overtime game against Temple. And Temple. you got to tell me about that. That was something else. We, we had to sit. Of course, the benches were on the end zone then. And we sit behind the team. 
And I remember when you say we, you're talking about the freshman freshman team. Yeah. And I remember telling Hatton, I said, you've got to take that shot. You've got to take the shot. Now, meaning that if the game's on the line, you've got to be the one to take it. Yes. Yes. And he was good at that. Uh, He wasn't too bashful either. No, not at all. He wanted to shoot the ball. He'd tell Odie, don't shoot, pass it to me. (laughs) Uh, Triple overtime, they win. And then, Sonny, you go to Maryland for your first loss. You uh, end up beating a St. Louis team that, back in in the days, that was a pretty good non-league rivalry. Yeah. Coach Langster got in some problems up there with, uh, I think, the coach's son one time. That's what we were told. Now, uh, explain that. Well, I, I'm not, not real sure. Uh, I think the coach's son at Saint, for St. Louis had said some things to Coach Langster, and Coach Langster, uh, from what I heard, went back and straightened the young man out. You lose at uh, Southern Methodist, and then you lose – to West Virginia in the UKIT. That that had that was a big big game. That was uh, Jerry West, and we beat them the next year. I think yeah. we beat Jerry West the next year, and we also beat Ohio State. Ohio State was in that also. So so you you get down and you're sort of as Coach Rupp later said you were just sort of fiddling around. Well, now this is the other team. We're we're freshmen now. It's not yes, but I'm talking about the '58. Yes, team. yes. Was, and now, let me tell you, we had to practice every day with that team. We had to scrimmage them. Coach Rupp scrimmaged at least an hour, hour and a half every day, and we had to scrimmage them. And then after we scrimmaged them, their practice is over. Then we had to practice. And we beat them one time, and Coach Coach Rupp said, "No, y'all didn't beat them. They missed. They, they, the score was wrong." We we we've had a couple people we've done podcasts with that Coach Rupp. This happened with the Super Kittens, if I remember correctly. They beat yeah. when they were dead. That uh, I think Kevin Gravy told us that uh, you know if it if we were starting to play pretty well, he'd change managers on who's refereeing the game. Exactly. And no matter <laughs> as soon as the varsity would get the lead. Blew the whistle. Yeah. Scrimmage over. Yeah, it's over. Over with today. Hit the shires. Did Did you realize going into the season how big an advantage you would have if you made the NCAA tournament? That there was a possibility that you would not have to leave the state to win the title. That made a big difference, and they were they knew it. They knew that if they had to, if they got to be in the state. They knew that the place would be packed with the Kentucky people, and that helps. Uh, th- that was a time, a, a period of time when schools didn't always value the advantage of a home court advantage. You played a lot of teams. In fact, this one particular year, uh, near the end of the season, you played Alabama, which I presume was their home game, in Montgomery. And you played Auburn two days later in Birmingham. Uh, you won the Alabama game, you lost the Auburn game, but that had to sort of be an advantage to get a team on a neutral court when it was their home game. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how uh, 
the athletic director pulled that, but he could pull some pretty good stuff. And when you say the athletic director, we're not talking about Harry Lincoln. No, no, no. We're talking about Bernie Shively. Exactly. Tell me a little bit about Bernie. Uh, Bernie Shively was tough. He, uh, he checked our mail, our little, where we ate. Now, our, why would he be checking your mail? No, not our mail, our checking our, our, uh, card where we eat. Oh, okay. To see you're eating too much food. Your, your card is, it's full there. Robbie said, what are you, how, what are you eating? And Coach, Coach Rupp would tell us that. Say he'd say, "Bernie's on me." He said, "Look at your card. You're you're getting this. You're getting that." I were they insinuating you were sort of uh, getting some for your roommate or something? Well, it could have said, it could be that, or it could be sort of helping your girlfriend now. No, 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 not that. It would be helping some athlete, some other athletic person on the UK that's playing that didn't get to eat. Oh, I got. It. So not everybody got the meal card. No, that's right. That's right. So, and we'll leave it like that. <laughs> uh, we we get to the end of the season, and you beat Tennessee, and then you beat to get into the tournament. Right. Uh, you you come back to the Coliseum, you play Miami, and you win ninety four to seventy, and then it's got to be a huge game. You're ranked number nine. Notre Dame's ranked number eight, and you're in the finals of the regional with a ticket to. At that time, it wasn't known as a Final Four. It was a national championship, Yeah. even though you had to play two games. Right. What do you remember about those two games? Not a whole lot. We, uh, we really didn't – they didn't give us tickets to get up there. I'm yeah. talking about the two on the campus. Oh, on the down. campus. Oh, they were, they were really good. I mean, we stomped Miami. And it, well, I can't remember what the score was of the Notre Dame game. Notre Dame – they gave was us, even worse than Miami. You beat them eighty nine to fifty six. They started off good. That's what they did, and then we smoked them, pretty good. And so, then, then everybody knew we could win it. We could win it after they played like that. That's the way this team is playing now. You take these the team we've got now, and they put the two games they put together that were almost perfect games. If they start playing like that, we're going to win this thing. I don't care if they have to go the West Coast. How big how big a change did you see in this team when Ashton Hagens took over and Quad A Green left? Well, they got more playing time. A lot more playing time. With the ones that were remaining. Yes. And that made a big difference. It's hard when you when you go in and then you have to come out and you just about the time you get warmed up good and you're ready to ready to do something then then you're pulled back out before you get and then you you brought up Hagens all of a sudden he couldn't throw it in the ocean there at the beginning of the year and now and they, and and they have scouted that and now they're leaving him open and what's he doing now he's growing up he's starting to he's starting he's got confidence he's hitting those threes did he always have that confidence in practice? I don't or? think he did. He didn't at the be beginning of the season. He didn't up until these last few games at where he started hitting. And now he'll put it in the basket and he hits them in practice. Back to the uh, national championship in Louisville. First, you had to rematch with Temple. Did you say you did did get to go or didn't get no, to go? No, we did not get to go. So was it on TV or? 
No, I'm I'm talking about in the Louisville game. Yes, the Louisville game. No, we didn't get to go up there. Did were you able to watch it on TV? Oh, yeah. I don't think we didn't have TV back then. <laughs> In '59, well, we had TV. It wasn't too good. <laughs> so, did you listen to it, or did oh, you yeah, just we, go out and? Oh, no, no, no. We we listened to it. Yeah, we listened to it. Uh, what, what kind of celebration did they have? Did they come back to the Coliseum that night, or? I can't really remember. I know uh, it was a big one. They were. It was good. Uh, that turned out to be Adolph's last national championship. Next year, you come back, you're number one. I know. Going into the tournament and had a, a phenomenal season till the very end. I know it. What happened? We couldn't get the ball up the floor. <laughs> That's what really happened. Louisville, of all teams. I, I think you had a, a double-digit lead in the first half. Yeah. And then it just sort of flipped. Yeah, they they put a press on us and we just folded almost. Had you ever been pressed earlier in the season? Not that or? hard. They didn't really press that much. There wasn't many teams that really pressed you. You'd meet them at half court instead of picking them up all the way from the end line. What changes have you seen in the game from when you played versus a day that's really had a profound effect on how it's played? Well, uh, the game was a lot rougher when I played. I mean, you got knocked around. You, they didn't call little touchy fouls. You had to foul somebody. Uh, and they let you play, too. And, of course, the, the three-point line. I mean, that's that was a gift. That really made the game score go up. Made if you, you used to, if you remember, you get a ten-point lead. Man, you got a 10-point lead. It's, it was over. Yeah. You might as well think about going on up to home. And you didn't have any clock to have to worry about. No. No, it, that was a bad thing because then you'd get a team that would hold the ball on you and absolutely just take just run the basketball game. And that happened. Well, North Carolina, look what happened. Look what they did when even when uh, Rick Bettino was here. What's the funniest thing ever happened to you as a basketball player? Uh, Coach Rupp, I had sprang my ankle. You remember the big wash tubs that you had? Well, they had a wash tub full of ice and water. And Rusty Payne was our trainer. And I had turned my ankle a little bit, not bad. And so he saw it and pulled me out and said, lace that tennis shoe up and stick your foot in that ice water. I said, okay. So I'm sitting there watching them scrimmage, and Coach Rupp came by, and about five or ten minutes later, and said, Robbie, said, uh, what are you doing with your foot in the ice? I said, Rusty said I had a little spring. He said, Robbie? with some curse words. Anybody can play with two good legs. He says, get your you-know-what back in there. Get him a tennis shoe and get him back in there. <laughs> that was about the funniest thing that happened out there, I guess. How, uh, do you, how do you guys travel? 
in the 50s when you played away games? We traveled in sport coats or a suit with a tie. No earphones, no radios. Well, there were no earphones or radios. <laughs> that's, no, that's right. Uh, but, I mean, did you? We, we did traveled you, on an old DC-3 out of Purdue, Indiana. Did Purdue own the plane? I don't know. Uh, it was They were out of Purdue, Indiana. That's what they were called, uh, Purdue, Indiana. Yeah, probably were then. And uh, there was a DC-3, which is a safe airplane, and uh, had a little curtain there from where the pilots sit. And we'd get on that airplane, Coach Rupp sit on the left front seat, and they'd pull down there at the end of the runway, and they'd gun those big engines. And one of them one time was smoking quite a bit. And the guy kept gunning them, gunning them. And uh, finally, Coach Rupp would say, kicker, Doc. And <laughs> he said that about two or three times. And finally, the pilot turned around. He said, I don't know who in the hell you are, but I ain't going to kick her, Doc. And I don't want to hear that no more. <laughs> well, now, wasn't Coach Rupp pretty famous for having somebody driving somewhere and they'd come up on a railroad crossing, the lights start flashing, and he'd say, kick it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd heard that. Yeah. yeah. The uh, freshman year, uh, Ed Beck was a key Big key on that team. Yeah. He had lost his wife the summer before. How much of that do you remember? Because you I were just coming in. I remember a whole lot of it. We, on that team, like I told you before, there were some really good players on that team. And uh, Ed, the players kind of gathered around him. Ed was a hustler. He would get every rebound. He defense. He – he couldn't shoot the ball very well. He shot that hook shot, and sometimes they were afraid he was going to break the the glass as hard as he would shoot it. But uh, I think that that helped the team gathering themselves together, helping him with his wife dying. Uh, I think it was his early junior year that she was discovered to have cancer. Yeah, she got sick. And she was a nurse. Yeah. And uh, – Ed, visiting with him last Saturday before the game, talked about how he hadn't learned from Coach Rupp a side that most players didn't get to know, that he had a Coach Rupp that was his coach, and then he had a Coach Rupp that sort of embraced him and his wife uh, his sophomore year, which was before you become a member of the team. Uh, he talked about how that she was in a hospital battling cancer, and they brought her over to Atlanta to see a Kentucky-Georgia Tech game. And throughout his junior year, and then she passed away in that summer. Yeah. Uh, the players, I mean, how did they react to all of that? Well, I think they, they, they gathered around him and, and backed him on everything. And that, that brought the whole team, I think, closer together because everybody was – Feeling feelings for him, and it, it, it's just made the team a, a lot stronger, really. The trips that you made in the SEC, what, what, what were some of the toughest places to compete? Uh, Mississippi State, that we played in a Quonset hut, 
and uh, the out of bounds play along the sides. The the students actually sit right there almost on the line. And the first row of people would be the football team, and they would have on bib overhauls and no shirt under them with the two stripes, you know, the two straps coming down. And if you took the ball out on the sideline, they would grab their hair on your legs or push, <laughs> push you inbounds, and the referee would have to stop them and tell them they were going to kick them out and all that. And uh, they would uh, – the cowbells. I mean, they rang those cowbells. And when you pulled up there in a the bus, you had to ride a, a bus from the airport to their, to their campus. And they would have sometimes 40 or 50 guys, or, and they'd shake that bus before it even came to a stop. When you when when you had a typical road game, say let's say at Mississippi State in Starkville, did you go down the day of the game, the day before? The day of the game. The usually. day of the game. Usually, well, when we went to Mississippi State, we usually went to Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Tulane. So there was it was a three game three game up, road trip all the way on. Oh, Ole Miss's gym was a had a a track up at the top, and uh, before you. The game started, they would tell you that if you shoot the ball from the side and it hits the track, you get the ball out of bounds. The team that the team that shot it. it. Yeah. And then on, they had a stage at the end on one end and, and with a bunch of uh, mats on the stage. And when you went in for a crip shot, if you went in hard, you'd hit that stage and slide. Away. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty wild. Uh, what, was there certain days of the week you played then? Like I know uh, one period of time in the SEC – you played on Saturday and Monday nights. Yeah. I, I, was there any set time but during that time, or do you? Recall? I can't. I can't. Were, were there were there always three game road trips or just two? No, game the, that was the only three game road trip that we really had. But rest of them normally two game road trips. Right. Uh, tell me how how let's say you flew the Mississippi State. And you what what you do when you when you arrive at Mississippi State. Was it just a couple hours before the game, or was it early in the morning, or what happened if you had plane trouble and were delayed? Well, you would go shoot around, about like they do now. They go shoot around, and uh, a little bit different than trusting one of these jets today. Yeah, and a prop job in fifties. And then they uh, the pregame meal. Did you the, have that on campus or where? You know, I I think at our hotel we'd have it at our hotel, and our pregame meal was really interesting. You had one piece of toast, one little cube of butter, one little cube of honey, and a filet about the size of a, a grapefruit around and a, maybe a half inch thick, and that was it. And when I was doing all this scouting and taping for these other two coaches, three coaches, you should see what they eat now. Well, now, Ed Beck told a story this Saturday, the same story that you just told. <laughs> and he said they would forbid you from eating any kind of seafood or lobster. Oh. That they claim that that hurt your ability to perform. Is that correct? That's correct. That was even the day, the night before, the day before, not to eat any, any kind of fish. And before the game would start... You got taped up. And if we were at the Coliseum, Coach Rupp even put 
cots in, bed cots in the dressing room, in the in the uh, where we got taped up, and when you got taped up, you went in there and laid down and you thought about the ball game. So he basically ordered you to meditate on the game. Exactly. No talking. And go in there and lay down and think about what you're going to do in the ball game. Now, that's how much the game has changed. So take me through the point that, okay, you're going to go in, guys, it's 3.30. Go in and meditate. I want you back here at 5 o'clock. So take me from that point right up through the game. Pre-game practice. Well, you, you in the morning you go out there and have a a, a pre-game uh, shoot around and go over the scouting report. Who gave Bald, scouting report? Baldy Gibb, and uh, I can't think of the guy who was with Baldy Gibb, but Baldy was the main guy. He was the coach at Henry Clay, and uh, they would tell you what what the fellow that you're going to guard, what he does, what he had for breakfast. They were good, and we would go through all that, and uh, then we would have her go back and rest, and uh, at the hotel or if we were at the dorm or wherever, and then uh, go in, get taped up, and lay down or sit so, down. So or, you were taped at the hotel. Yeah, usually at the hotel. Yes. On away game. Give me a give me an example of how he coached you before you went out on the floor uh, for the tip. In other words, after you went out and shot around, shot your layups, come back in for final instructions. He's about like Coach Cal. You need to get the rebounds. You need to get the don't be getting bad shots. Shoot the ball. We've got to shoot the ball sixty times. The more you shoot, the team that shoots the most and plays the best defense usually wins. That's what he would tell you. Was he a man that wanted more dribbles or more no, passes? No, no, no. We would have practice with no dribbles. You would, We would scrimmage. The ball wasn't allowed to hit the floor, which is good. Coach uh, Cal runs a, a uh, practice drill, which is really good, where they run for uh, – 30 seconds or two minutes or something, three minutes, I think, and the ball never touches the ground. And it's fast. It's really good. Describe what happens in the huddle with a minute and a half to go and you're down three. Well, you decide what you're going to play, what play you're going to run back then, and uh, usually who's your best shooter, which was usually Hatton. And uh, Benny Kaufman was a good shooter. Sid Coyne was a good shooter on our team. He was, Sid Coyne was a senior, and uh, he was way of way. He was more advanced. He was older. Did 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 Rupp believe in fouling? Say with two minutes to go and down no, no, three. No, 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 no. Uh, how did he? How did? What was his process of the, coming he, from behind? His process would know. He would know. Either one of the coaches would know who the worst foul shooter was on the floor at the particular time, and that's the guy you you fouled. And then who fouls? Who has the least number of get on him? That would be – So it, you would switch defenders. Yeah, you, you, you might Depending on be, who you want to put on the line. Exactly. And who had the least fouls, 
you would go you you would be the you would be the, the dig designated fowler if you had to you try to get the ball first was it a big deal uh to go into a arena on the road in the SEC back then as it is today with Kentucky as far as them having their biggest crowd of the year exactly it was that was their Exactly like it is now. It was their NCAA championship game. Tulane. That was a nice gym. It didn't hold very many people, but it was really a nice gym. And we'd kill them every year. And uh, that would be a time where you got to go out in New Orleans, which is some some nice stories. Tell me a New Orleans story. Well, I can't tell you. Well, any. sure you I, can. I mean, nobody's listening but us. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to worry about anybody telling on you. Well, we got caught out in New Orleans. We uh, Coach Rupp told her that, Rust, that Rusty Payne said, take up all their shoes. And uh, he took all of her shoes. No, wait a minute. Take up all their we shoes. Want, we, had, we had beat Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Tulane. All three games. And so we wanted to go out on see New Orleans. So you're what, staying in New Orleans overnight? Oh, yeah. Same old hotel every year. Right off of Bourbon Street. Remember the name? No, I can't remember. It had a big stairway. If only Walls could talk. Yeah, really. But uh, we got caught out. We we wore our tennis shoes out. They didn't take so, our. T- so they took your regular sneakers, your yeah, regular shoes, regular shoes, assuming and, that you couldn't get out if yes. you didn't have them. Right, and we <laughs> we went out in our. Everybody went except Don Mills and Billy Ray Licker. They were married, and we went out. And I'm we sure were, Sue will enjoy hearing that even yeah. today. And uh, we went out and had a real good time, and uh, we had gone in this one place. Uh, and Benny Kaufman had said, and he's always pulling something, he'd said, uh, boys, I just saw Coach Rupp, Coach uh, Bernie Shively, Billy Thompson with the newspaper, and Coach Lancaster. They saw us going in here. So we came out, and so we started running up Bourbon Street to Canal Street, I think the name of it was. Was it? And we're running up Canal Street. Well, they pull up alongside of us. And Coach Rupp says, uh, I, I know who I know. And we're running, not paying any attention. Well, they beat us to, to the hotel. And Coach Rupp was standing out there writing everybody's name down, trying to. And we were running past him and up the steps to our rooms. <laughs> Did you pay any penalty for that? We lost our tickets now to the Tennessee that. game. You mean your four tickets per player? We got four tickets per game. And uh, he took up those tickets for the Tennessee game, which uh, if your parents didn't go, it was Well, did your parents hurt. know why they didn't get your tickets? Oh, yeah, they knew. Yeah. Any, uh, give me another good story that uh, you've been holding back for 50 years. Well... Again, it's just me and Bo. <laughs> yeah. Coach there's Rupp's nowhere a, around. There's a story I can tell you, but if you don't curse in it, it's not a very good story. Well, we can make believe. We're at 
Vandy. And the dressing room at Vanderbilt was the swimming pool's dressing room. Now, and is this in the same gymnasium? We Same gymnasium. I don't know if they're the same dressing room yeah. now, but our dressing room in Vandy was in the swimming pool's dressing room. And just soon as you walked in the door, which was a metal door with the glass white with mesh, chicken wire mesh used. Remember those doors, mm -hmm. the windows in between? And when they walked in and closed that door, the, all the caulking was out of the thing. It's old. And the, rat, the window would rattle, rattle, rattle. So we're down probably 12 to 15 points at halftime. And uh, when you went into dressing room after at the halftime, and uh, whether you were ahead or behind, everybody grabbed a towel. And the, the seniors all told us this when we were freshmen. And the reason why is because Coach Rupp, some of the things that he said were so funny that you'd have to hold your nose with the towel in front of you to keep from laughing because, I mean, it was so funny. And you didn't make fun of the Baron. In and front you of didn't him. say, you didn't make a sound in there. And uh, before we had left Lexington, uh, Johnny Cox had been mentioned in the the Herald leader that he was going to be an All-American because he was a senior with us. And he went over, and Cox had had a bad first half, and Coach Rupp had went around to everybody just eating them out like crazy. And uh, he gets to Cox, and he says, uh, Cox, he said, uh, All-Americans a-hole. You couldn't sh your hat and pull it over your ears. <laughs> well, everybody, you know, I mean, it's all you can do to keep from laughing. And about that time, somebody knocks on the door, and it's rattle, rattle, rattle. And Coach Rupp is just steaming, boy. He's going from one to the other. And the trainer goes up, and they're talking, whispering, and they close the door, and it rattles. And then uh, all of a sudden, knock, knock again. Rattle, rattle, rattle. Coach Rupp looks around and goes over to that knob and jerks open the door, and this little trainer for Vandy comes flying in and falls down on the ground. And he's, Coach Rupp is preaching to him, says, what are you doing drunk coming in my, knocking on my door, coming in my dressing room? We're down 12 or 15 points, whatever it was. Said, this is going over the BBC all over the world said, the soldiers are listening to us, we're down, and on and on and on. And the guy said, Coach Rupp, he says, I've got to go through here and check the outside doors in the swimming pool. And Coach Rupp said, well, he says, by God, he says, if you teach these damn Tennessee people how to swim, he said, they wouldn't drown. And he kicked him in the tail and went out the door and slammed the door and all the glass fell out. And then we go back out if we win the ball game. But those are things that happen at halftime sometimes that you'll never forget. You've been here all these years since you got out of school. Uh, Coach Rupp went from 58 and finally 
retired after the 71-72 season and passed away in December of 77. Uh, how difficult was him not to get another title? He came so close in 66. But you could see that, you know, I guess 70 was his last real shot with S on Pratt and Casey. Yeah. They had bad luck. They seemed like the teams had bad luck when the, when they needed good luck. And really and truly, you stop and think about the NCAA tournament when it starts. You've got to have luck in one game. You can I don't care what team it is. You've got to have a lucky game because it's hard to play all that pressure on on you, and there's a lot of pressure, not only from your coaches but from your fans and then the whole nation's looking at you. And Coach Rupp, you said something back about Ed Beck, uh, Coach Rupp, the other side of him. There was another side of him. And after you graduated – you usually found that out. He really helped me. He helped me get my first house, in fact. I called over there, and I couldn't get a loan. And I told him, he said, are you working now? I said, oh, yeah, I'm teaching school. Had tried out with uh, Phillips 66, and that was a bust. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, wait just a minute. And he called down first security bank and got my home line. Home, home J.D. Reeves there then? Yes, J.D. J.D. was a guy that was very close to Rupp yeah. over the years. And yeah. I think he was actually the official scorekeeper for many years for U.K. games. I really didn't know J.D., and, but I went, when I went down there, well, he, he was as nice as he could be. He said, if you need anything else, just call me. Um, how did you feel about it when it was getting near the end? He suffered from diabetes, uh, had a foot infection for quite some time. It was, it was sort of a... a Delicate situation there his last few years. Yeah. Well, coaches don't want to ever quit. That's, you know, that's the way, that's the way they are. They just don't want to quit when they should have quit a little bit earlier while they're on top and at their – but they think they can go on just like you and I think we can go on. What, what do you think that uh, the players that played up until – I guess it was pretty much early, mid-70s when finally you got to take two teams to the tournament. I mean, you were limited one to up in the 70s, and then finally they kept expanding it to where there's not a limit on the number of teams to a conference. Do you? How much do you think the SEC would have changed if they had been allowed more than one team a year when you were playing? Yeah, well, see uh, – Mississippi State, they were tough every year. Tennessee was tough every year. There should have been three teams in every year out of the SEC. Those three teams were tough. They were tough to play, boy. Tennessee especially. And in Mississippi State, when they had Bailey Howe, there wasn't a better player in, in the nation than Bailey Howe. Let's talk a little bit about some of the people that were important to you while you were here at Kentucky and – and uh, let's just start off with players, Vernon Hatton. Vernon was a personal friend. Uh, he and I had played one-on-one -on -one together forever. And uh, he, he was a really sharp, sharp person, uh, very religious person. 
and uh, just a really good guy. Helped me a whole lot. Johnny Cox. Johnny Cox was kind of quiet, didn't say much. From He was from the mountains. Uh, he really didn't. I really never got very close to Johnny. He didn't say a whole lot. He he was a great ball player. He could he could flat fill them up and rebound. He was a good rebounder. John Krigler. John Krigler. John was a roughneck. He'd take the worst guy they could take, and he'd just knock and bang and. He smoked a lot. I hate to t- say, tell you that, but he smoked those cigarettes. I never will forget that. And uh, they'd almost catch him. <laughs> but John was, he, you know, he died not, well, it's been three or four years ago. But he was, he was a great guy, great guy, great defender. Better known as Odie Adrian Smith. Odie Smith. Uh Odie was a great ball player. He, uh, of course, he had to play with Hatton, and Hatton was the man. And so Odie really got in the background a little bit until he got into the pros. And he had a good pro pro uh, career. Ed Beck. Ed Beck was Ed Beck. He was a great guy. Re- religious, I think he's, I don't know That's if he's true. still a preacher, preacher now or not, but. Great person. Always always something nice to say to you. Earl Atkins. Earl Atkins was the main man for me. He was wanted in every for every school in the United States when he was and was University of Kentucky got him. And he didn't get to play very much. Uh he had I think he got married and Coach Rupp didn't like that at all. Of course Coach Rupp only played six players. And he'd play seven if he had to. Billy Ray Cassidy. Billy Ray Cassidy was the best shot on the team. Uh, we would, at the beginning of, of practice, we all were out there shooting together. And uh, uh, we'd play horse. Well, he'd take everybody's quarter. Lincoln Collinsworth. Lincoln Collinsworth was a great guy. He, uh, he was a good ball player. He didn't get to play. I, I, I don't know why. But in practice, he was tough. How Ross? Ross, uh, Ross was a good ball player. He he didn't get the, his chance to play much either, really. Billy Ray Licker. Billy Ray was. Billy Ray had the set, the reputation that followed him in there, which really helped him. From uh, Coach Carlisle, Coach Coach Carlisle was really. Uh, in with Coach Rupp. He was over there a whole lot. I think he had some bad things to say about me because I didn't play for him, which hurt me a little bit. Benny Kaufman. Benny Kaufman, now that's uh, that's that's when we were playing. Yes, this is all your players Okay. Now. Benny Kaufman was uh, a junior college player, and uh, he was really good. He was, uh, he was a different kind of guy, though. Don Mills. Don's a great guy. Still is. He's over in Richmond, Kentucky, in the insurance business, I think. And he was a good ball player. He helped us a whole lot. Sid Cohen. Sid Cohen was uh, actually 
before us. He was more experienced than everybody. He he knew where to throw the ball, and uh, he would hit people in the head with it and everything else, which they were good passes, but they wouldn't be ready for it. Dick Parsons. Dicky Parsons was really good defensive player and great guy. Bobby Slusher. Bobby Slusher uh, was kicked off the team for personal reasons against the team players. Now, I don't want to go into that, but uh, and the players kicked him off the team, really. Phil Johnson. Phil Johnson, probably the best player ever came out of U High, was rough and tough. And there's another one that could have played any college he wanted to. Ned Jennings. Ned Jennings. I'll give you a story about Ned Jennings. Ned Jennings and Don Mills played center against each other during the year, practicing. We're scrimmaging. And Coach Rupp had just stopped the scrimmage and said, there's nobody fighting out here. There's no fights. There's no nothing. Said, what's wrong out here? You're not getting after each other. Have all of you been patting each other on the butt or what, what's, what are you doing? So we go back scrimmaging. And we're on a fast break going down at the other end. And all of a sudden, Coach Rupp is jumping up and down on the sideline. And he's saying, stop, stop. So we all stop, and we look, and Ned Jennings and Don Mills are down at the other end at the basket in the, in the blue, and they're trying to fight each other. And it looks like two women hitting each other. They're swinging their arms up in the air, and they're hitting each other on the shoulders. I mean, it was a riot. <laughs> And then Coach Rupp says, stops them, and they all come in. We all sit down. Everybody sit down. Said, now, here, boys, we're here at the University of Kentucky. Says, we just don't do things like that here. And just gave a big speech, uh, speech about not having any fights going on. But Howard Dardine. Howard Dardine got in big trouble uh, Stealing something up north. I don't know what that was all about, but he didn't. He didn't get to come back. Lowell Hughes. Lowell Hughes was a starting quarterback for the football team. He was a good guy. Looking back over it, uh, anything you would have changed as far as coming out of high school? Well, the biggest change I would have, I would have played high school basketball. That really hurt me. I mean, really. Uh, that's probably the only thing. Uh, what an experience that I've gone through. What What was your most uh, or your best experience from your UK days? I guess you don't lose at anything. Uh, I got in the business world, was not pretty successful, but really successful. And I think it all came back from what Coach Rupp taught us. 
most inspirational person in your life outside your family? I guess he was. I guess he was. And Coach Langster. The Coach Langster was the meanest man that ever walked. That's what we all said. And he wasn't like that at all. If you walked out here today and walked out to the Lexington Cemetery and you could look down and speak to Adolph Rupp, what would you say to him? Thanks. Many thanks to Al Robinson for joining us on Conversations with Oscar Combe, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. You can easily access all of Oscar's conversations through multiple online platforms, and that includes oscarcombs.com. There you can find episode four featuring Billy Ray Lickard, episodes 39 and 40 with Terry Mobley, and episodes 55 and 56 with Guy Strong. All episodes of Conversations are available for download or streaming from iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Search for at Wildcat News and subscribe. And you can always follow Oscar on Twitter. He's at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and on behalf of Al Robinson and the Big O, thank you for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go Big Blue.